Welcome back to the lab with your hosts, Brad Foltz and Nate Povolt. Welcome back to the lab. Back to the lab. Welcome back to the lab. Back to the lab. Welcome back to the NFL Lab Network. We have a very special guest today, but we'll start off with introducing my co-host, my good friend, Nate Povo. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. Uh, I get to talk football. I'm always down to talk football. You know that. So. <laughs> uh, exactly. And one of the best people to talk football with is joining us, formerly of Grantland, The Ringer, and now currently at The Athletic, the host of The Athletic Football Show, Robert Mays. Robert, how you going? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me. All right, thanks for uh, coming on. Thanks, yeah, absolutely. I was saying to uh, Robert just off air how, Nate, that um, very first podcast that I heard, Robert was co-hosting with Kevin Clark on The Ringer. And ever since then, I've tried not to miss a show, which drives my wife insane. But <laughs> it's... <laughs> yeah, so... No, that's uh, awesome. Uh, hopefully I don't get you in trouble. That's no. the last thing that I want. No, no, she's she's now got used to it too. She'll sit there and when an episode comes on, she actually sits there and I look over it sometimes and she starts going, welcome to the athletic football show. And I'll go <laughs> like a song. So I, it's great. People think that I it's about consistency and it's like establishing some sort of brand or whatever at the beginning, but it's really just because I'm like Zoolander and I can only turn one way. I just, there's no, I can't intro the show any other way. I don't know how to do it. If I started doing it a different way, I would just trip all over myself. So I have to do the same thing every single time. It's not about so. any sort of professional consideration. It is all about my personal limitations. I think too, you'd find as well that if you start changing it up, you're going to have so many fans coming at your DMs going, Robert, what the hell are you doing? It's changed, man. Well, the funniest part is when we were at the ringer, I would do it and the music would kick in perfectly every single time. And people thought I was timing the music. The music doesn't exist when we're when we're starting to do the show. The producer does that afterward. So I appreciated that everyone thought I just had perfect timing every single time we do the show. In reality, I'm not hearing music as I do it. So just a little how the sausage is made podcast moment there. <laughs> right. Well, I figure we'll go into uh, some of the news of the day. The big news of the day, obviously, is Gronk retiring. Um What's your initial thoughts on it, Robert? I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, same. I mean, uh, immediately after it happened, Drew Rosenhaus came out and said, well, you know, he might, might come back during the season of Tom asked him. It's, I, 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 there's no reason to do some sort of grunk celebration or some you know, big retrospective. One, I've already done it. He was already, the, in my opinion, the best tight end I'd ever seen when he retired last time. And then he's just running up the score by playing well in stretches over the last couple of seasons after taking a year off. And he might come back. I mean, there's absolutely a world where it's November 20th. Cambray gets dinged up. The Kate Otten, the guy that drafted in the fourth round, gets dinged up. Tom gives him a text message. It's like, yeah, just come on. I, somebody, I think, pointed this out. He retired from training camp. That's what he did. He's just He's not going to camp. And I've been in Tampa for training camp before. I wouldn't want to be there either during that time of the year. So I don't blame him whatsoever for opting out of another few weeks of that sort of situation in the middle of Florida. Well, it kind of reminds me of Roger Clemens in the early 2000s when it was like, well, he doesn't play the first half of the season, saves his body, comes back for the playoff run for the Yankees a couple of times. And we can debate why he did it, but I feel like that's kind of where Gronk's head's at. And I get it. I, I don't, wouldn't want to go through training camp either. It sounds and being in Tampa in August sounds absolutely miserable. I, I sweat through two shirts every single time I'm there. So I, I respect it. his decision. Yep. Uh, the the other news, other news, I'm I'm with you guys. I don't think he's actually once it, he goes through a full season or two without actually playing, then I'll believe it, but we'll see. Um other news of the day, we've got uh one of your favorites, Robert. I think uh Fitzmagic has gone Ryan Fitzpatrick has gone and signed with Amazon for their Thursday night football, the pregame halftime postgame show. I remember you were saying about your story where you were sitting in his kitchen while he was cooking breakfast for his 435 kids that he's got and how much of it, how insane that was. He's going to be good at this sort of role, isn't he? I'm very interested in how he's going to approach it. He's got such a backlog of experience and 
has played in a bunch of different types of offenses and is obviously brilliant, funny. Yeah, there's no way to know how who's going to be good at this and who's not. But if I were making bets, I think that he would be consistently entertaining, consistently engaging. So of all the people who could have gotten this role, he's one of the guys that will make me tune in. So I'm very much looking forward to what that's going to look like. He's just such a big, bold personality. I, I yeah. feel like it fits so well on TV. Yeah, and it's it, it, the funny part is that the kind of intellectual personality that we kind of graft onto him because he went to Harvard and all that, he's not like that when he talks about football. He is much more like excitable and juiced up, and he just wants it to be – I mean, he's headbutting dudes when he's playing. Like That's more who he is when he's talking about this stuff than – some sort of brainiac. And I just feel like those two things combined is going to make him a very compelling character uh, when it comes to breaking down football on TV. Do you think when we look back at his career in another 10, 15 years, what's his sort of um, standing in the game? Is he going to be, I'm going to use a typical like Bill Simmons here. Is he going to be like an underrated sort of guy or is he going to be overrated that suddenly he was the you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of his ear, or what's his sort of outlook in the next 10, 15 years look like when we look back on his career? I, I think it'll be what it is now where he's almost sort of a curiosity, you know, when being someone that with a huge personality, I think he had an outsized profile compared to how much football he actually played. And I mean, he wasn't a starter, an unquestioned starter at that many stops in his career. I mean, it really took him going to Buffalo and being there for a couple of years. I mean, you look at his career, he only started more than 12 games, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, seven times in a 14 year career. And a few of those times are kind of accidental, like the 2014 Texans. I don't even remember most of that team or that season. Yeah. Obviously, the Jets run was very memorable. And then he had little, I mean, how many games do you think he started for the Bucks? If you had to guess based on what you remember from that? Memory, I would say, I would have thought from memory like 10. It's exactly 10. I would have thought more based on <laughs> some of the moments that he had. But it's, yeah. we have he has these moments in our minds, even though this is only somebody who started 150 games total for not a lot of very good teams. I mean, the moment he had against the, t uh, the Raiders where he got his head twisted around and threw that pass when he came in in relief of Tua during that game. Just those Buffalo teams where, again, curiosity is, is the word that I use. Those Buffalo teams weren't overly good. You know, they went six and 10 in two of those years with him as the starter. And, but they had so many fun players on it. Him, Fred Jackson and Stevie Johnson on one team. That is the, it's like a perfect triumvirate of players because none of them had great all-time great careers, but every single one of them was like, oh man, I like watching that guy play. Yeah. And it feels like he's going to be the quarterback version of that and very well branded with the beard. And he's just going to be somebody that's super memorable, even though his playing career didn't have as many important or high level moments as you might think for a guy who has been in our lives for almost 20 years. Yeah. It's funny. My very first thought when I think of Fitzpatrick, and it's not even a football thing, that maybe just shows what his curiosity It's him wearing Deshaun Jackson's clothes after yes. one Tampa yes. game. Like, that's the very first thought I have of Fitzpatrick. And then you could tell me, like, you could have told me that he was, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you any of the teams that he played, like the whole list. But the very first thing I think of is him wearing Deshaun Jackson's clothes at that press conference with the open shirt down to it, <laughs> with the chest hair flowing out, all that stuff. That's the very first thought I have of him. So I, it'll be interesting to see how he goes this year. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him on TV. Yeah, I absolutely am as well. I mean, it, there are certain stretches that I think were super memorable. Like those, those Bills teams, the Jets teams, were they were 10-6 and six that first year. And the, what's fascinating to me about his career is he had five careers. He had so many different stages of who he was within the league and who he was as a quarterback. And I was in St. Louis. I was in Missouri when he got drafted uh, by, the, by the, the Rams. I was in college in Missouri. And so his second year there when he was getting spot duty in, with the Rams, I was at Mizzou like two and a half, like two hours away. So I remember that. And then obviously he was in, got spot duty back up what, or spot duty when Carson Palmer got hurt in 2008. Like there's just a million different versions of who he was. And it's almost like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. He's touched every single person that has been involved with the NFL over the last 15 years. It feels like. Yeah. Uh, so the last bit of news for the day, we've got Larry Ogan Joby signing with the Steelers. Good, good addition for the Steelers. 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I didn't see that. I didn't see what the deal was. But I think it's just a one year one year deal. I think it makes sense because would they? Uh, Cam Cam Hayward's an incredible player. Cam Hayward is yeah. so 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 good. What Stefan Tuit gave them was a bit of volatility along that defensive front. He was so. I remember talking to Keith Butler, their defensive former defensive coordinator, about him when that position group was just wrecking people a couple of years ago when Bud Dupree was still there and just kind of talked about how Cam Hayward is somebody you could just rely on all the time. Just always in the right place, always doing the right things. Just such an underrated player. And two, it was somebody who took a lot of chances, was a penetrator, made a lot of splash plays. And Ogunjobi's best trait is that he's a penetrator. Like he can make plays. He's going to give you some of those splash plays. It's why the bears were willing to give him that monster contract before the knee issues came up and before the, he failed the physical. So I think that element to their defense is something that they were missing without to it. So it does make a lot of sense to me. Cause just looking here at the, um, actually the report on the athletic, he, it doesn't have money wise, but it's just got the one year deal. But yeah, that deal with the bears was three years worth 40.5. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with 26.35 guaranteed. So is Probably not one of those guys that at the start of free agency you think, oh, big name. But I think, you know, seeing what he's been able to do over the years, like you said, filling in those sort of roles like for without Stefan Tua, you know, that sort of thing. He could have some real value there for the Steelers. The Bears contract to me is a reminder of the dangers of having a defensive-minded head coach because that's one of those things where they're looking at the whole roster. They're thinking about the system that Matt Eberflus wants to run. It's that 4-3 traditional defense. They have DeForest Buckner and Indy. They come in. It's like, ah, oh, we don't have anybody like that on the roster. You know, we've had a lot of two gappers and the Bilal Nichols and, and guys of that ilk. We really need that one gap penetrator. And you have a first-year GM who says, oh, throw the head coach a bone. You know, he really wants somebody in that role. Like, we'll go out and spend on the best guy available. And that's how you offer Larry Okunjobi a three-year $39 million contract. So I think it's a blessing in disguise that ultimately did not happen for the Bears. Um. I figure now we can move on to a bit about you, Robert. So obviously I know that, uh, you know, with the training camps coming up, uh, you quite often go out to see all the teams and um, get your, you know, pre-season sort of get a, a little look into what they're doing. So do you, have you locked in the teams that you're going to go see this year? And when you do that, like in, you look in the off season now, you're going to sit there and go, right, I want to hit, the Bears, I want to hit the Chargers, I want to do this, I want to do this, or does it sort of just go, uh, whoever, whoever wants me, I'll go there? It's a combination of all of those things. I have not locked it in yet. Uh, I'm a, a little frustrated by that. I wish that more teams had released their schedules because I would really <laughs> love to know where I'm going and when. I have some idea. I have a rough outline of of what the path will look like, but you need to know the off days in order to like really plan it out because if a team's just going to be off and you were planning on spending one day there, then you have to refigure what the route is going to look like. Uh, there are some teams that I know I'm going to go every single year. You know, like the Rams and the Chargers practice 10 minutes away from each other in Southern California. One does the afternoon, one does the morning. It's the best. You can do two days there. You can go to two practices each, and it's very convenient. I know based on going to Southern California, I'm going to go see the Cowboys because it's an hour and a half away in Oxnard from where the other two teams practice in Irvine, so I'm going to go up there. I'm going to do pretty much all the teams in the NFC North because it's driving distance from the house. And if I'm going to Detroit, I might as well go to Cleveland. And if I'm going to Cleveland, I might as well go to Buffalo. And if I'm going to Buffalo, I might as well go to the Jets. And if I'm going to the Jets, I might as well go to the Eagles. So geographic proximity ultimately plays a fairly large role. By the, What I've always done is you, know, you want to be able to make sure you're going to get something when you go there. So you talk to them in advance and you know, this is what I'd hope to get. And is it possible? And so some of that plays into it. And then I'll fly to little pods. Like last year, I flew to the Southeast and I drove around the Southeast and I'll fly out of there to the West Coast and do the West Coast and fly out of there. So that's typically how I've orchestrated it in the past. It's very fun. I mean, it, it's like a little puzzle that is frustrating to put together, but it's also really enjoyable to put together when it all crystallizes and kind of falls into place. It's a nice little exhale moment. So I'm looking forward to that sometime in the next couple of weeks. Nate, you go. Oh, you got in. No, first of all, I was going to say that sounds amazing. I'm pretty sure I could convince my wife to do it, honestly. I mean, she works in the fantasy industry with me as well, anyway. Um, Really into football. I got really lucky on that one. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. Um, she's actually an editor in the industry, which is even oh, nice. better for me as a writer. It's like I can run stuff by her first before my actual editors see it. <laughs> so I don't look like an idiot. Um, so when you're kind of like deciding on team, you say it's a lot of it's geographic, but is there any sort of like, well, I know this team's going to be in the hunt this year, or this is a team I think people maybe aren't looking at as much as I want to see in camp because they could surprise some people in the league. Yeah, there's definitely some of that. I, you know, one of those teams, I was thinking about it where I wanted to go this year. I was like, I really want to go to Philly. I really want to go to Baltimore. You know, two teams I didn't hit last year that I feel I'm, I'm particularly interested in. Um, so there's always some of that. And, you know, like the Colts, like last year with Carson Wentz, it's like, I definitely wanted to go and just kind of hear what their plan was for Carson Wentz. Carolina was like that last year where they, you know, they traded for Donald. And I was interested in why that happened and what the plan was. So I wanted to go to Carolina. There's always some that Miami was like that last year where, you know, you have this like big season for them and what it was ultimately going to look like. And so, yeah, it, there's definitely some of those considerations every single time, you know, I put something like this together for sure. Um, speaking of like, obviously off season and teams that you're looking at. So I'm going to combine a couple questions that I had here. What's a team that you liked their off season and what's like, or, or teams and what are some teams that sort of went like, what the fuck are you doing? Like with their, their off season. Cause obviously like, unfortunately I'm a um, Panthers fan, so you can mock me as much as you'd like, but um in a weird way, as weird as their off-season was, I actually liked their off-season additions by had bringing in Austin Corbett for that line, bringing in Bradley Bozeman, drafting Iki Okwonu, because then you get, like, guys who are depth pieces now. Like, Cameron Irving isn't a necessity to start at a left tackle like he had to last year. He's a good guy you can plug in for a few plays if there's an injury or a spot start here and there, as opposed to your long-term line so what what was your sort of view on the offseason of a couple of these teams uh off seasons i liked i just love what the eagles did you know you look at the players that they added and it all makes sense you have these three first round picks instead of drafting a receiver go use one of those first round picks to trade for aj brown who i think is a full-blown superstar i mean am i my feelings on him have been well <laughs> well documented and well communicated in the past i think he's really really good so going to get a guy like that, I just don't think there are that many players like that in the league, especially if you compare the cost for that trade with the cost of a trade for a guy like Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams, both of whom are creeping toward 30. The AJ Brown still has one cheap year left on his deal. So it's, you're paying him two million bucks this year, and then you factor in that with the extension. Comes out to like more around 20 a year, 21 a year, compared to what those other guys are getting. AJ Brown's only 25 years old. Just little tiny bits of value like that i always appreciate when teams are hunting for those they go draft jordan davis in the first round which is a piece they absolutely needed on defense with the way that they want to play he's just such a nice cog in that sort of overall defensive plan and then the other facets of that they signed james bradbury who is just not the type of player that's typically available in the calendar when he was fills a huge hole on the other side of darius slay and even something small like going to get jaquaski tart this week with a team that has real holes at safety and who knows how that's going to work out, but he has been a professional NFL safety consistently in a defensive system that I think shares a lot of DNA to the way that the Eagles ultimately want to play. So just little dice rolls like that, I think make a ton of sense. I mean, their, their roster, if you look at it top to bottom, it's intriguing. I, I who knows what's going to happen at quarterback, but they still have that extra first round pick next year. So that's part of their off season is making that deal with New Orleans and just giving themselves an out further down the road. I really like just every single thing about what they did. I think they're just really well run. I, the, the choices they make and the bets they make typically make a lot of sense to me. Uh, another team, we Nate mentioned them when we did our offseason reset a couple of weeks ago on the show. We were doing a team that had a sneaky good offseason. And he brought up the Bucks, and he's like, that feels cheap. And I was like, no, that's a great answer because – we just wouldn't usually throw them in there because they're a contender. But I feel like so many of the quiet things they did, the Shaq Mason trade, the little thing, like going to get Russell Gage. Like now that Russell Gage is the third receiver on that team, and you have Russell Gage, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, a really good offensive line, the trades they made in the draft, trading back and still getting Logan Hall at a position where they desperately needed another body in the interior of the offensive line. 
going out and getting the interior offensive lineman whose name I can't remember as part of the extra picks that they picked up. I just love the ways that they've like quietly built depth and versatility over the years. Logan Ryan going to get Logan Ryan after losing Jordan Whitehead because of just the way they use their safeties as part of that defense and having a guy that can play multiple positions. They just consistently have done a really good job at understanding where depth is necessary and how to build out that roster. So that's another team. And the Jets had tons of resources. So if the Jets didn't get a lot better this offseason, then something is wrong. But I understand everything the Jets did. You know, you can absolutely hem and haul about value of trading up for Brees Hall in the second round, stuff like that, a year after they did it for Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round. And I understand the quibbles with that kind of stuff, but the moves they made in free agency, bolstering the tight end room, Jordan's going out and getting a guy like Jordan Whitehead. They have DJ Reed getting Sauce Gardner in the first round. The All the talk about them not picking him there just never made sense to me because when you look at that team, they had no corners. Like it, they, yeah. it was the it was the biggest glaring hole on the entire roster. And this idea of well, you know, they don't value corners. It's 2022. You need corners. Like you need really good players in the secondary to play in this league. And so all I think that just points to the fact that all their moves made sense to me. It, all in succession, going to get Lakin Tomlinson, who's played in this offense for this offensive line coach, and having that be one of the final pieces along the offensive line. So none of it matters. The quarterback's not good. None of it. But everything they did, again, just I, I like when you look at a slate of moves a team made. It's like, all right, I get that. I get that. I get that. It's just the, the process of it makes sense to me. And then one that's super obvious, like when Russell Wilson is your quarterback after Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater are your quarterback, you had a good offseason. Yes. Yeah, yes. That's, all, that's really all there is to say about that. I mean, do you think Russell Wilson pushes the Broncos into probably a surefire playoff team more than likely? No, just because... <sighs> the division is so good and and the AFC is so good that I think it's hard to say that because there's so many good teams. And I don't think that that's not an indictment of the Broncos at all. Again, George Payton is somebody that I think they've done a really good job. Like even all the moves they made, it's a joke now almost on our show, how much I love K1 Williams, but somebody like that where you signed Bryce Callahan to big money ultimately didn't work out. He was dinged up a lot. You need a slot corner. You go get somebody like K.Y. Williams, who is just a pro's pro, and you're going to sign him to a cheap deal. He's going to slot into that spot. They have a bunch of corners. They have safeties. They bring back Kareem Jackson. They go bolster their defensive line, which was really an issue last year with all the injuries they endured. I mean, after they traded Von Miller, you know, it was a disaster. There's nobody there. So now you go get a Randy Gregory and a DJ Jones, and there just aren't that many holes on that team, even at that hole they had a right tackle coming into this offseason. I think that ultimately you want a better right tackle than Billy Turner, but he's he's fine. They've, they've, they've done a really good job of doing all of that. I still think they're a year away because it, the depth is just not there. It's really hard to make a contending team in a single offseason, but the moves that they made with going to get a couple more picks for Von Miller, like going to get Nick Benito in, as, as part of that haul, and saying, all right, well, just, we need more bodies at pass rusher because of what happened last year. I just love all of the bets that they made. But I think that, the again, the depth of the roster, where they're all at, all the uncertainty around what the offense is going to look like. Yeah. Is Nate Hackett going to be a good play caller? Like There are just so many factors that are hard to pin down when you compare it to a team like the Chargers, where we know what who they got. We know who's there. There's just a little bit more certainty because they're in year two of this. Uh, we have a proof of concept in some of these areas, and I just think the Broncos are a little bit further away from that. So, was there who was the, who was the team that you looked at their off season and went, "What are you doing?" Like, obviously, the the big talk is um, Christian Kirk resetting the uh, wide receiver market, which with his contract. But is there a team that really sort of you don't understand what their off season was? I don't understand what the Cardinals are. They, I agree. I they, agree with that. I look at the team and it's not better than it was at the end of last season when they got blown off the field by the Rams. And maybe your offensive line is a little bit healthier so you can read something into that. But other than that, it's the same team. The, the bets they made with the resources they had this offseason were re-signing Zach Ertz, re-signing James Conner. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's that frustrates me when you you go out and you make a really shrewd move 
to sign James Conner because he was an undervalued asset last offseason. He was coming off a terrible year. That Steelers offense was a nightmare shit show. Making a bet on a guy like that makes total sense. So find the next James Conner. Don't then double down and pay three, four, five times as much for a guy who was undervalued last year. And I think those are the moves that they made. And it spending that first round pick to go out and get Hollywood Brown as a replacement for Christian Kirk, like speed is available. You can find speed. You don't have to trade a first round pick to go out and get that. So I just don't understand how that team is better than they were. And that's okay. You know, there are a lot of teams that aren't better than they were at the end of last season. The Falcons aren't better. The Giants aren't better. The Bears aren't better. But they're not where the Cardinals are in their trajectory. Like they have a quarterback who they're probably and rightfully going to give a monster extension to. This is the last cheap year on his deal. And this is the team that you've put around him. This is your last best chance to make the most of this. And they're not better today than they were six months ago. The Hollywood Brown trade just kind of, I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. They already have that style of player in their offense. And I, I understand they probably knew that the DeAndre Hopkins thing was about to go down, but like you're not looking at Marquise Brown to be the guy who replaces DeAndre Hopkins for six weeks. And then when Hopkins comes back, where does he fit into this offense realistically? He plays the Christian Kirk role, but Which, that's that's fine. But again, you're paying a pretty big premium to go out and get that guy to play that role. Mm-hmm. And then what does Rondell Moore do? A guy you right. drafted in the second round last year. Drafted Andy Isabella in the second round a couple of years before that. It's The offensive line is being left unattended as they continue to make all of these fantasy football moves, and I just don't really understand it. So when you have – because they've paid out, right? They've made some moves where they've paid guys. They paid DeAndre Hopkins. They paid J.J. Watt. They've done a lot of that. They paid Buda Baker. They have some expensive players, so they don't have a ton of money to throw around, even with a quarterback near the end of his rookie contract. But using those scarce resources you did have to trade for a tiny, some fast wide receiver, re-sign guys that are creeping toward the wrong side of their career to fill out the rest of your offense, and then not upgrading the offensive line whatsoever. It just, I, none of it really makes sense to me. I don't understand why they think that this is the best route for them to compete in this moment. And I seem to think too, the, the pick of Trey McBride after re-signing Zach Ertz. Just, That's what I was also going to say. Drafting a set, tight end in the second round doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. And, and they're redundant. Like they do the same thing. Like it just doesn't seem to make sense to, like I could understand if, this was the last year of Zach Ertz and he'd been like on contract and he'd been injured and he hadn't been playing a lot of games and you wanted to plug that guy in to play that same role, but not after you re-sign him to that contract. That just didn't make any sense to me. I totally agree. I I just, again, the pieces, like it's the opposite of what we were talking about with some of these other teams where all the moves like, all right, I get that, I get that, I get that. And the Cardinals moves, it's just, I don't understand it. I don't understand what you're trying to accomplish and where you are right now. Yeah. Well, uh, since we're start, we'll be running out of time with you soon. I've got a few questions from a few. Um, you get, don't worry about that. We can keep going. It's not a big deal. We can keep going. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Uh, well, then, um, so one of my favorite shows that you guys just did recently was your episode with um, De- uh, Nate and Deontay, just talking about your defenses and everything that you. Yeah, rules. Uh, I don't have to say shit. I can just sit there and listen to them for an hour, which is amazing. <laughs> Makes my job really easy. I've I've listened to it twice <laughs> and I want to listen again because it's one of those things where you're hearing it and you're going, okay, this is awesome. Now I want to sit, sit in front of the film and watch it and see what these guys are talking about. You know, you're, as you are saying, like in that show, the inside leverage for the corners versus the outside leverage and the quarters defense and how not all quarters are the same, et cetera, et cetera. So after that discussion, is there a team that you're sitting there looking at their defense and going, okay, that's going to be fun. That's what I want to, I want to focus in on this specific team because I, like I said, I'm a Panthers fan and that only ended up happening because I was more of a fan of the NFL and I didn't have a team. And then suddenly the Panthers started following me on Twitter. So I was like, cool, that's my team. Um, <laughs> Listen, but, that, that's a better reason than a lot of people have. So I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> but I was, I was looking because I do a singular show for the Carolina Panthers during the season. 
and I'm making sure I do it week in, week out this year. But going back and actually watching that defense from last year, they were a lot of fun. I love that defense. And a few of those additions, like bringing in um, Xavier Woods as another safety option, because then you can rotate Jeremy Chin down to sort of play that hybrid linebacker role, which he can be so effective at. Shaq Thompson, I actually think, is quite underrated. He's actually kind of the glue of that team. You saw how bad they went in those few weeks when he was out injured last year. So I really like watching him. Yeah, and I think I saw on something on the next-gen stats, he had the fastest sack of the season with just speed. <laughs> like it was – he's just an insane side-to-side linebacker. So is there a team that you watch and you go, yeah, I, I want to watch them this year. I want to see how they do. I want to see the with the additions they've made, how they had, how this bears out. It wasn't a lot of additions that they made. I just think that based on the way they played in the second half of last season – and the makeup of their roster, I think the Browns defense has a chance to be like really, really good. You look at how many young guys they have on that team. <laughs> What's his name? Does a word's been in the league for like six years, but he's still like 25 years old. So there's a lot of that. But you know, Greg Newsom in year two, JOK in year two. Just the youth they have in the secondary overall. I think that position group and then you know the front. There's a lot left to be desired with the interior of the defensive line, but if you're going to be weak in one spot, that's not the worst spot to be. They bring back Clowney. I just think that group has a chance to be very good, especially on the back end. Like we, we live yeah. in a world where you can never have enough corners. You can never have enough flexibility in your secondary, and they have three safeties that they can play at the same time. They have excess amount of corners after going to draft Emerson when they did in the th- third round, I believe, right? Second, third round? Yeah. Whatever their first pick was. It's hard to pin it down at this point where they traded them all away so that team i think has a chance to be really fun and really good just because they're ascending to me i thought they figured out a lot at the end of last season when the defense was really just totally new and the the personnel was totally new they had turned over so much of that group this is an easy one with the chargers i mean they yeah. when you go out and you get a khalil mack and a jc jackson and the guy they drafted from Baylor, I think, is really an indication that they're going to move Derwin James down into the slot and play him there a little bit more. And again, talk about the flexibility on the back end. I think they just have so many different places they can go in the secondary this year that they couldn't go last year because of the guys they had on the team. And then they remade the front seven. I mean, Khalil Mack being there now and Sebastian Joseph Day and even a guy like Kyle Van Noy and Morgan Fox and just functional human beings in those positions is going to go a long way for that team. And I I obviously think Brandon Staley is really good at what he does. I just don't think he had the bodies last year. Uh, This one is silly to say, because they were the best defense in the league last year, but I'm excited to watch the bills. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they, when you go trade, when you go sign Von Miller to that kind of deal and it's just every once in a while, there are contracts that get handed out where, you know, they're bad. When it comes to value and it comes to process and all that, well, that's, that's not a good contract. I don't care. I just, yep. I totally understand being Brandon being being like, I'm not no stone unturned. Like we're going to win the goddamn Super Bowl this year. Like that is going to happen. And that's that sort of move. And I, I appreciate that. And then going and trading off for Elam. I just, people are split on Elam, but where the drop off was at corner with the type of player he is, how physical he is. He's just a bill. Like from the moment I started watching him that heard about, just the binder he brings and studies and the way that he approaches things. He's just a Bills player. And that, to me, having Levi Wallace there, he acquitted himself very well over the last several years as their number two corner. In fact, they were the best defense in the league. You weren't constantly worried about him. But it felt like they were always trying to upgrade that spot. And so now that spending a first-round pick on that position, that's always what I hoped they would do. So I just think that the little tiny tweaks they've made, even the turnover on the interior of the defensive line, I love those little moves that they make, like going out and getting that guy from Washington and just the the constant little, how can we tinker this to make it a little bit better? And the last one's the Ravens. You know, the bring in a new defensive coordinator, the drafting Kyle Hamilton. It's going to look so different is my guess. And I love how they embrace just different versions of themselves and always have under John Harbaugh and, just this understanding that we need to keep changing and evolving in order to stay relevant. And, you know, there to me, a lot of ways, like the gold standard of how that thought process goes in the NFL and what this version of it looks like on that side of the ball. I'm really, really interested in watching. Uh, yeah, it was, um, I'm looking forward to seeing them too. It was, uh, by the way, that Emerson was a third round pick 68th overall that one, but 
I also think like the Ravens are one of those teams. Obviously, we're seeing against certain teams. It's you're seeing more of the um, more safeties out on the field, more DBs. Like it honestly feels like with the Ravens, they're going to have a game where they're going to have one down lineman and ten DBs in the backfield, like in a game. It just feels like that. But they've got that that flexibility to throw different fronts and different looks at teams, which is really going to confuse them. Which is one of their reasons why they could be one of those sleeper sort of not necessarily like sleeper teams because they're in a they're a good team already but to have that flexibility to throw things around is really going to mess with some teams they're just a nice combination an interesting combination of defensive backgrounds because mike mcdonald he doesn't really have a dna defensively in, in terms of coaching trees you know he spent most of his career in baltimore but if you look at what he did in, in michigan it was different than what the Ravens would do. And it's going to be different than what they did over the last few years. I think that you're going to see a good chunk of that Staley-esque, Fangio-esque stuff on early downs, but then you still have that pressure DNA where, like you just said, I mean, we could just see all these weird fronts on passing downs and what they could look like the Chargers and Rams on first and second down and the Dolphins on third down. And that's cool. Like that's That's an interesting combination of shit. I'm very much excited about seeing something like that. <laughs> Um, I've just, the other thing I was just thinking, like, obviously very well aware of your, um, uh, I'm not going to say love affair, but your, uh, admiration of Justin Herbert, (laughs) who's, who's another guy that you are looking forward to seeing like their film from say last year and into this year that you can see the improvements like obviously Herbert had an incredible rookie season and he was great last year and we'll see him continue to develop into whatever he becomes down the track but is there another player that sort of is on that maybe not necessarily the same Justin Herbert level but a tier a tier below that you're really looking forward to seeing how they've developed from year to year Patrick Sertan Jr. I think is that's one where I just can't wait to watch him this year just feels like he's ready to take like a massive, massive leap. Uh, the young guys on the Lions offense, so uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Penny Sewell, just that group in general. I'm really curious how the Lions position, like skill position group is going to shake out, just the moves that they made and when da- Jamison Williams gets on the field. So that group overall I-, I think is very interesting and I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm excited to see Quentin Nelson healthy again. That's kind of a random one, but he was just really dinged up last year. He was not the same player. So I'm looking forward to seeing him back you know, near full strength. But those are a few that come to mind right away. I think the, the easy answer for me is just what Sertan can look like in year two and whether he takes like a big, big leap. I was expecting you to go with your uh, very early pick in your offseason defense draft in AJ Terrell. He's already good. So that there's not a lot of places he can go. He's already one of the best corners in the league. So, and I think the the same goes for the younger players on the on the Browns defense, like Greg Newsom and what he can do, and are they going to move him into the slot a little bit more, and what kind of role does he play? So, and then the one just on a more general level, I'm really excited to watch what the Titans and Bengals look like on defense. You know, those are two defenses that. Uh, maybe I, I should have mentioned it in the defense I was excited about, but the moves that the Bengals made in the draft by going out and filling out their secondary a little bit and some of the things they could maybe do with that. And I just thought the Titans defense was really good last year. And the, some of the things they did, I feel like kind of on the cutting edge. And I had a coach reach out to me after that defensive uh, trends draft that we were, or the show that we did a couple weeks ago. And he said that he was going to call me with like 20 minutes left in the show and say, we should talk more about sim pressures and zone defense behind it and then we talked about it last so he's just like yeah you that's the one i would have said and it feels like the titans were the team that really embraced that and so when you see a team that's kind of on the cutting edge and doing some things that offensive coaches are turning over in their minds they're just those are always the teams i like to look at is there i don't know if you sort of said about those guys is there a un okay unheralded maybe is not the right word, but a non-mentioned sort of player who you've picked out on film that you might have been, say say you've been going to watch um, AJ Terrell. Is there like another sort of person that you go to go, right, I'm going to watch this person and someone else jumps off at the page that, that you sort of go, oh, wow, I've never really looked at them. And then you've gone back and gone, that guy's really good. That's a good question. I'm sure the answer is yes. 
Um, going back and watching uh, the Packers defense a little bit last year, there are a bunch of those guys. Just like how well Devondre Campbell played. And just yeah. watching them, it's just like consistently. Be, that's he's just a really good player, and I that that's just another group I feel really excited about because they have a lot of guys like that. Where you go back and watch, like Eric Stokes was pretty good last year, you know, and just there's a ton of players in that way. Adrian Amos is just always solid, so they they have a lot of guys I feel like are one step down from the truly elite players at their position, but they're all really good. So that that would definitely be a, just a group full of those players. And the other one, I I love watching Demario Davis. I when we back yeah. we did went back and did that defensive lessons draft. I went back and watched the Saints and just the shit they ask him to do is he it is so hard to be a no doubt about it fantastic free agent signing not only way not only all the way through your contract but into another deal after they signed him especially as you're getting up there in age like what he has been to that team that locker room that defense for like 10 years is really really impressive. 10 years might be a while. I don't remember when he signed there, but it's been a while now. Yeah. Is uh, I'm just trying to think. Is there it's a... It's been five years. That was, was overstated. Five, five years, yeah. Years. I was going to say. It's five, it's five years. He's been very five good. Five is close. Um, speaking of the Packers, just something that... Do you reckon... How is their offense going to look this year? Because we've already seen the quote of Aaron Rodgers that we like production, not potential. Uh, which, you know, could be a bit of a slide against some of the young guys sort of thing. So how is that offense going to look without, I guess, your safety blanket in Devontae Adams? Like, what's how, how do you think that's – is there going to be a bit more two running back out on the field and maybe Aaron Jones running from – like playing from the slot a little bit more? Is it going to be what, – what are your thoughts on it? I think we'll probably see that, just a way to get your best players in the field together. Wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I would assume they would run the ball a little bit more. Than they did if you look at just run plot run past splits. So and I, I there might be a move to make still for them at, at that position. Just wanting to go get somebody who is a veteran, maybe a little bit more reliable. So I mean it's one of the biggest questions of the entire year is what that position group is going to look like, how reliable it's going to be, because that team they have Super Bowl aspirations, justifiably so. But is that going to be a team now that is number two in defensive DVOA and runs the ball on 48% of their snaps, but their, their passing efficiency is still pretty good and they're winning games 24 to 20 in a way that they didn't over the last couple of years because they had this ridiculous fireworks offense. I just think that the identity of who they want to be consistently might look a little bit different. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who, I guess to who, like with Tonyan coming back and we'll, I mean, Sammy Watkins is going to have an 11-catch, 200-yard, three-touchdown game in week one, and then you won't see him for four weeks because that just seems like a Sammy Watkins special. Four is, it seems generous, but yeah. <laughs> it just sort of – it seems like that sort of thing. So I'm going to be intrigued to see how, like, Lazard plays this year and Christian Watson, you know, just with a little bit more focus, not just solely on, like, a Devontae and how they shift their defense and how Rodgers is going to do with with those sorts of looks when they come up against some of those teams. Absolutely. I think I've got a couple. I've got a question here. What did you think of your Chicago Bears offseason? Do you think Justin Fields is prime for a big year? Is uh, Jones, is Valus Jones, is he a is he a guy that you excited to see, or is that a bit of like a okay? What what are we doing? Sort of thing? big big year is probably strong. I hope Justin Fields survives the year. Uh, that's <laughs> kind of where I'm at. That's a reasonable hope. I I just. I, I understand if you're Ryan Poles coming in and saying, we need to reset this thing. It, it, this is the, the foundation is rotten. The way that they did this was never going to work. We need to just hit the hard reset button and we need to go get some assets and, and tear it down a little bit. I, I've said this multiple times and there's I, I think that it's really telling. If you look at the group of teams that are near the top of the league in dead money, that are near the bottom of the league in cash spending, the teams that are rebuilding, like they're hitting a reset button. They are trying to wade through the shit that some previous regime put them in. It's the Falcons, the Giants, and the Bears. And the only difference between those three teams is the Bears drafted a quarterback in the first round last year. It's the only difference. The only difference is that they made that move. So that doesn't change the fact that they need 
to do things to kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit to make up for some of the mistakes and just some of the process that happened over the last few years. So trying to do that while also surrounding your young quarterback with the right pieces, I think is difficult. I think that the front office was in a really tough situation and there was really no good solution. So I just want them to hopefully, you know, they find a functional offensive line, hopefully the scheme and just the amount of you know, play action they're going to lean on and boots and all that stuff that they can kind of just lean on the bells and whistles of it all. He can have a fine year where he makes some progress in his development. And then next off season, they can say, all right, now we have $150 million in cap space or whatever it is. And we have our full stable of draft picks. And now we can really start building this thing because it's just a tough thing when you come in and you're saddled with not really just not even saddled with, but give this arranged marriage with a quarterback you didn't pick. You're not going to have the same urgency to surround that guy, and you're not going to put yourself in a bad situation or spread yourself too thin when it comes to helping that guy. It's just that you don't have the same fire under your ass to make that happen. And I think that that's what we saw with them. So it's hard to get excited about it, but I also understand it just because they were in a really, really tough spot. Yeah, Nate, Nate has to leave us in just a second. So have you got any last questions before you need to bounce out, Nate? I just want to know, Robert, how do you feel about Mac Jones? I think that he was really good last year. And it's one of those things where we did our quarterback draft and I was sitting there with like the 13th pick and you had Mac Jones and the other rookies on the board. And I'm looking at Mac Jones being like, I think I know what Mac Jones is. And if I, if you pick Mac Jones, like is Mac Jones 90% of what Mac Jones is ultimately going to be? And that's my concern. I, I, th- I think he's going to be a really useful quarterback for a really long time in the right sort of circumstances. You know, if he's a Kirk Cousins for a long time, that's okay. Like that, you can win games with that guy. But I just don't know where the ceiling ultimately is. Like, it, can processing and accuracy be the things that carry you uh, in this day and age? And I think it's really difficult to be that sort of quarterback and be just an absolute monster. You know, Joe Burrow, if, if you're trying to spin it in an optimistic way, you can say, look at the joke that Joe Burrow made from year one to year two. I think that Joe Burrow and his ability to extend plays, the way that he can push the ball down the field, his size, little things like that, subtle mobility – he has more of that than Mac Jones does. So I don't know if the best case scenario for Mac Jones ultimately can look like that. So I'm optimistic. If I were a Patriots fan, I'd be, I'd be thrilled to get that guy in the middle of the first round, not have to trade away anything to get him. And for him to play that way last year without a ton of receiving talent, I would be very excited about it. They're in a weird spot just because they had no money and right. the money that they spent last off season allowed them no wiggle room and, they're another team. It's like they're not better than they were a year ago, which is frustrating because you have a guy in the second year of his rookie deal who played pretty well. But I think my my pessimism about them it has a lot more to do with the situation than they're in than the bet that they made at quarterback because I think he's pretty good. Yep. I agree. I I like the Devontae Parker signing for them. I think that that could help Mac Jones a bit. I I suppose we'll see it. I'm just I happen to be a big fan of Mac Jones. I thought San Francisco should have taken him <clears throat> with their pick over Trey Lance. Splitting hairs, maybe. Maybe it's my fantasy football brain going that way, but I guess we'll see. Uh Robert, thank you so much. I'm sorry I have to bounce. I've got a four-year-old. I gotta get to bed. No, so. that's totally fine. That's a good reason. I probably I, I should probably go too. It's eight PM and I haven't eaten dinner yet. So yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, guys, thank uh, you. No, thanks, thanks, thanks. Like- Thanks, mate. I've just got one question here for you, Robert. It's uh, from Corey, who's a US ex- expat who's living over here in Australia. I think Sounds you good. spoke to him a couple of years ago on one of his shows. So he's put his question here is, May is an O-line savant. Do you see any advantage for the Patriots to move to a wide zone run scheme, which has been rumoured? And would that be the reason why they traded Shaq Mason to the Bucks for Cole's and drafted Cole Strange, who's the athlete, more athletic sort of player? It could have been. Uh, that could have been a consideration if they're going to adopt more of that sort of system. But, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a needle mover. I, mean, I don't – their run game was good last year. Their run game has been good for the last few years. And 
when you talk about that system and moving to it, you need to do a little bit of everything these days because of the way the defensive fronts play. And if you're going to spring it on teams and they're not going to be ready for it at the beginning of the season, maybe you get a little juice out of that. But as defensive fronts start to adjust, you're going to need those gap scheme runs as a change up to that sort of approach. You know, even teams that we talk about as like true blue outside zone, wide zone teams, all of them have some sort of curveball that they throw. The Browns have a lot of trap plays and a lot of gap scheme plays that they do with those guards. The Rams run a decent amount of duo because it's a good little change up to what they do with the wide zone stuff. So even if you're going to adopt that scheme or embrace that scheme, it still feels like you're going to do enough of everything at this point that I, I wouldn't necessarily bucket it in that way. Yeah. Do you, what was your, was there any, like, do you know, have you heard any reason as to why Shaq Mason was traded or is it just, I really uh, haven't. I really, I really haven't. It just feels it. I mean, my guess is that it's financial because they needed to save all the money they possibly could. And if they are going to move to a scheme where they want their guys to move a little bit more, maybe that was part of the reason, but, and there's a chance that they also, they liked uh, what Michael and Wenu did on, on the inside and wanted him to play guard and didn't, they thought that that's where they could have used him. I mean, there's a bunch of different things that it might be, but I still feel like it's, it's a downstream effect of the money that they've spent over the last couple of years and them needing to save every penny that they can. Yeah. Cool. Well, we shall leave it there since Nate has now gone. I'll let you go so you can have your dinner. So thank you very much, Robert, for coming on. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. It's been one of those things that I've been uh, – I said to Nate, I would never actually thought that I'd be able to get someone like yourself to come <laughs> on. So it was, it was great to have you on. So thank you very much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, and, uh, and good luck with everything. No worries. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Sounds good. See you. So there we go, guys. That was our chat with the Athletics, Robert Mays. Uh, fantastic guest. As I was saying, didn't actually think that it'd be a, have a chance to have someone as amazing as Robert come on the show, but uh, that was uh, an incredible chat. If you don't listen to his show already, please go and find it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast, The Athletic Football Show, two to three shows a week. For those guys, one of the highest IQ shows that you are going to find. So... Real big thanks to Robert for coming on the NFL Lab Network and we shall see you again soon with hopefully another big guest coming up. All right. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the lab. Back to the lab. Welcome back to the lab. Back to the lab.